Thank you, Mike, and good morning again, church. You know, we believe in the power of prayer here, and we have prayed several times already in our service today. And I think you have been struck like I have, and so many of us, and it was a part of our conversation as a staff this week in light of the cardiac arrest that struck the player for the Buffalo Bills, Damar Hamlin, last Monday night, how we were struck by this, this instinctive turn to prayer that so many had during a time of crisis. And I certainly trust that as you begin this new year that prayer becomes a vital part of the disciplines of your life and we believe in that. And we must come before the throne of grace with boldness so that we might in every way and every day ask the Lord for all that we need and for his name to be glorified among us. That's our prayer for you this morning. Even as I ended my message last Sunday morning, encouraging you to take an hour in the afternoon and an hour on Monday to set your priorities for 2023. Priorities are different from resolutions in the way that big rocks are different from pebbles. Priorities are the convictions around which you live and build your life. We schedule our priorities. We always make time for what we put first in our lives. And so setting priorities will help you keep from wasting your life. To love God with all of your heart and all of your soul, mind, and strength, that is your ultimate priority. To live a life of integrity is a principal priority. To live your life according to a set of priorities. It's hand, handy, I think, to make sure that you identify essential priorities because if everything is a priority, then nothing is. So mark them and, and write them down. And then our priorities can then be broken down into, into pebbles or resolutions as they ought to be. But it's your priorities that define who you are because this I know, show me your priorities and I can show you your life. I wonder if one of your priorities for this coming year could be stated in the aspiration to become wise. In this age of frenzy and confusion, it seems to me that becoming a person of wisdom ought to be a top shelf priority. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you could use a little more wisdom in your life right now? Who doesn't need the kind of wisdom that is necessary to get through the jungle of what we now call daily life? Who doesn't need the kind of wisdom that will keep us from playing the fool? For whatever else may be said about people today, and yeah, I even mean you and me, it's evident that most of us lack wisdom. Folly seems to rule the day. Wisdom is that overlooked virtue. It's not just marginalized, it's vanished. And by wisdom, I, I mean not being knowledgeable or being informed. We get plenty of information. My, we get plenty of information. We are awash and superfluous opinions that invade our minds like junk mail in our inbox. But wisdom... True wisdom is in such short supply. 
it makes me wonder why there seems to be this inverse relationship between information on the one hand and wisdom on the other. The more data we seem to be bent on consuming, the less clarity we seem to have. Brett McCracken, in his helpful little book called The Wisdom Pyramid, asks, how can one flourish in a world like this? How can one fortify one's immunity and be healthy amidst a contagion of foolishness whose spread shows no sign of stopping? He goes on to say, our ears are bleeding from the screeching multitudes who daily assault our senses. Everyone has a megaphone and no one has a filter. The poet T.S. Eliot said years ago, where... Where is the wisdom we have lost and all the knowledge we possess? We have become information gluttons, but it has not made us wiser. Wisdom is the deep and beautiful filter we need most. For a wise person knows what to do in every situation and and understands what choices are best. A wise person knows his or her duty is committed to a deep sense of justice, knows that a few words are better than many, listens to advice, chooses forgiveness over bitterness. A wise person is even keel. A wise person knows that self-discipline is actually the pathway to freedom. A wise person is open to critique and is slow to anger. Wisdom is the path to a beautiful life, a life contingent on the choices and actions and attributes that we develop. And so whether or not wisdom was initially on your list of priorities for this year, let me be so bold to go ahead and write it in for you that your goal in mind for this year, especially over the next three months, as we walk through this topic of wisdom together, put getting wisdom on your priority list. And that's, again, what I want us to do for the next 12 weeks. I want us to recalibrate our lives by soaking in the wisdom of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. We're going to get deeply rooted in this ancient wisdom that is this book that shows us how to live sensible and spiritually productive lives. Proverbs is an amazing book. It's a unique book. Just how it's organized is so fascinating and striking, especially beginning in chapter 10, where you know the book best of all for all of its amazing, pithy little sayings, these these proverbs from which the book bears its name. But at times in this series, we're going to focus on an entire chapter. Uh, The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are, are sort of written in a narrative form where a father and a mother are teaching their kids. We're going to look at one full chapter in just a few moments this morning. But most of this series is going to be caught up with looking at various topics that we have arranged around a cluster of Proverbs. We're going to draw draw Proverbs from all different places in this book and, and situate them around a particular theme. But here's where we're going. Because like a digital billboard shining brilliantly in Times Square, the book of Proverbs offers to us this enthralling invitation. The book of Proverbs says... 
Here is wisdom. Come and get it. So let me invite you to go with me to the book of Proverbs. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to two places right up front. First to Proverbs chapter 1. And one verse we're going to begin with, that's in verse 7. And then put your finger or something in in Proverbs chapter 4. It's just a few chapters away, so it's easy to turn to once you find Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in the fourth chapter, but you can't launch a series in Proverbs without turning to its famous flagship verse. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Say amen if you've heard that before. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Where is wisdom to be found? Wisdom is to be found and a passionate pursuit of God. Wisdom is to be found in a God-entranced, God-centered, God-induced, God-seeking desire so that when God is set first before you, he, he consumes your gaze, then wisdom will become more than just common sense. It will be really uncommon sense because he will define the rest of life for you. It begins and ends with God, which makes the wisdom which Proverbs gives to us so utterly unique. If we are to pursue wisdom instead of folly, such wisdom is going to be activated in seeking the Lord. So we need to ask the question right up front then, based on Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, what is wisdom? I thought carefully about how to define it for you this morning. Let me show you the words on the screen. Using Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 as our benchmark, I would define wisdom this way. Wisdom is the skillful application of the fear of the Lord to every issue and all the complexities of life. You can see it. Let me say it again. Wisdom is is the skillful application of the fear of the Lord to every issue and all the complexities of life. It is that comprehensive. It is that exhaustive. So becoming wise is not about acquiring knowledge, having a firm grasp of the facts, raising your GPA, enhancing your resume. Wisdom is not the amount of information that you possess or whether or not you can run the board in a category on Jeopardy. Wisdom is the skillful application of the fear of God. It is about knowing him and how knowing him leads you to live well and choose well and feel well. It arranges all of your emotions correctly. It's letting your actions, your choices, your emotions be motivated by and to illustrate what it means that you know God in every fiber of your being. So let's take that definition with us as we move into Proverbs chapter 4 this morning where two times we will hear the appeal in this chapter, get wisdom. It's a command. It's an imperative. In other words, you can't live life well without it. Since the best part of every sermon is the reading of the word, I want to read all of Proverbs 4 today, all 27 verses. And I'm going to ask you to stand in reverence of God's word. Proverbs chapter four. And hear the word of the Lord. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. 
and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. And she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Let your eyes look, look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet that all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And this is God's holy and inspired word to us. And all of God's people again said, amen, you may be seated. It is a high calling to become wise. But proclaiming yourself to be wise is sort of like thinking that you're humble. The moment you think you are, you're not. The philosopher Socrates was famous for not having called himself wise, in part because he knew that if he labeled himself that way, he no longer deserved the label. The Apostle Paul, as he dissects pagan culture in Romans chapter 1, said, professing to be wise, they became fools. So I understand the hesitation to say, I want to become wise, because professing so sometimes leads to the opposite. So none of us will ever reach the point of perfect wisdom. We won't arrive at the place of complete wisdom. So, so we must at all times feel and heed the command to get it. 
to get it above everything else. And there is nothing more urgent for you and me today than to get wisdom. And that's the first thing I want you to see. In fact, that's the theme of the first nine verses, the first section of Proverbs chapter four. It's all about the urgency of getting wisdom. The chapter opens with the voice of a young father speaking to his son. And the father says to the son, I'm going to give you some solid counsel, so just don't let it go one in, in one ear and out the other. And then in verses 3 and 4, this young father brings in the voice of his father, his dad, to tell his son about what his father used to say. Tell me if you've ever done that before. Let me tell you what my dad used to say. So the primary teacher then in the first nine verses of Proverbs 4 is the voice, and I love this now, of the grandfather. Three generations are present, the father, the son, and the grandfather, or Baba, as my grandson calls me. And the father quotes the grandfather who tells him about the urgency of getting wisdom. And he says, my father taught these things to me. Now I'm passing them on to you. And then notice your text very carefully because the words of the grandfather are actually quoted. Look for the quotation marks from verse four all the way through verse nine. What is shouting here for our attention is the transmission of wisdom through multi-generational influence. One of the sources of the deep kind of wisdom we need today, and I'll just say as a caveat, the, the best source is God's word. But another source of wisdom that is imparted to us upon which the word of God even directs is not by looking down at a device that you hold in your hand nor going to your search bar and asking all-knowing Google about something you want to find out. It's the wisdom that spans the years as expressed in relationships within the family or to those closest in your life. So let me say two things. If I can write up front to two different groups of people, first of all, to the parents and grandparents among us, let me say something that I hope you will just assimilate and absorb into your life. You have amazing influence over the next generation because of your relational position. You may think that they want nothing to hear from you because their phone is smarter than you. But they need your wisdom. And you have a place of pivotal influence. Do not neglect it. The ability to speak into the lives of your children and grandchildren and even your great-grandchildren in some cases is not based upon, so do not let this become your excuse, it's not based upon your perfection or imperfections, it's not based upon your, your, your perfect performance, it's not based upon your eloquence, it is rooted in the lessons that you have learned and the successes that you have experienced, the failures you have faced in your life. Tell your, tell your children and your grandchildren about the time when you obeyed God and it was hard, but it changed your life. Tell your children and grandchildren about the time when you were brought to your knees because you failed to fear God. And here's what happened. You don't have to give all the gory details, 
You just have to tell them there was a time in my life when a choice was set before me and I failed to fear the Lord and I made the wrong choice and these were the consequences. And so, yes, don't let this go in one ear and out the other. Son, daughter, granddaughter, grandson, hear my words. There's no rival for the kind of wisdom that is wrapped up in the words my grandmother used to tell me. And then you pass it on. And may I say to those who are far younger than me that those who have come before you are not disqualified from speaking into your life because they once used a rotary phone or because they they send notes using, using cursive handwriting. You need the wisdom of those who have walked the road before you. Now, you may not have a parent or a grandparent in your life, but that's also the value of a church community where wisdom surrounds us and it is worth tapping into. And and I know access to almost everything that has ever been written in, in the history of the world is just a click away for you. But it is no substitute for the wisdom of your parents and grandparents when they're sitting just a few feet away. Heed it. Listen to it. Open your heart to it. There are three things that the grandfather said that really demand highlighting. We can't highlight everything in this chapter this morning, but the first is verse 4. He taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments. But it's the end of verse 4. If you mark in your Bibles, highlight this. And live. Keep my commandments and live. You'll find that emphasis several times in this chapter. For these commandments, these words, this wisdom is life for you. So the wisdom that is being imparted to us from those closest to us has the power to show us how to live life. And so true wisdom, when it is truly assimilated, when it's transmitted and it is assimilated by, by, by us, makes, makes us fully alive, more alive than we've ever been before. By contrast, it is regrettable but not at all surprising that while we have all the information we could ever want in the palm of our hand, at the same time, we are more stressed out, we are more outraged, and our souls are more shriveled and overwhelmed than ever before. Why? Because it's not able to impart life. The computer can't do it. The phone can't do it. Nothing else can do it like God's word. And then when that word is transmitted by a parent, by a grandparent, by a friend. Number two, the young father is still echoing his father when he looks at his son and he talks about wisdom as if he is talking about his son's future wife. Did you, did you sense that reading through it? In Proverbs, wisdom is often portrayed as a woman, but listen again to what he says in verse six, do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her 
and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Compare that to Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. The, be, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. They run together, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Watch again, verse eight, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Robert Alter translates the Hebrew of verse eight, dandle her. We've got to ride up and down on your leg the way that you would ride your, your grandchild up and down on your leg. Verse 9, she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Who wouldn't want that? And then notice the appeal again. Get wisdom. It comes twice in verse 5, verse 7. Do you want to be wise? This father says, the book of Proverbs says, come and get it. The word get comes from a word in the Hebrew that means to buy or to acquire. Yes, it's a commercial term. What are you willing to pay in order to become wise? Because if you want to be wise, it's going to cost you. How much is it going to cost you? Hmm. The NIV translates the force of verse 7 this way, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. How much will wisdom cost you? Everything. Everything you've got. But the payoff is life. It will keep you. It will guard you. It will exalt you. It will honor you. What else can promise you that? Get wisdom. And even in the midst of the sorrows and troubles and travails of life, and wisdom will help you navigate those things too, wisdom will never disappoint you. You see the urgency of getting it? You see that why this ought to be on your list of priorities for any and every year? Get wisdom. According to this grandfather, nothing is, is more urgent than getting it. Place it on your priority list. It will guide your life. The second thing I want you to see in the text as we move to the second division, the second section of Proverbs 4 is the choice of two paths. The primary message in verses 10 through 19 is about a choice between two different ways, the way of wisdom and the way of the wicked. And the first choice is down the path of wisdom that again leads to life. Verse 11, I have taught you the way of wisdom, this father says. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. And when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Look at those promises. Why is wisdom necessary? Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. That's the pathway of wisdom. But there is another road. There is another path, and the choice to run down that path leads not to life, but to ruin. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Uh, the, the Hebrew senses don't even dare dip a toe in that direction. Don't enter it. Avoid it. Do not go on at verse 15. Turn away from it and pass on. Do not even set your foot in that direction. Why? Because it is so addictive. Because it is so compulsive and destructive. Verse 16, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. That's those who have walked the way of of folly, of, of evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. They can't, they can't finish off a day without saying, who did I mess up today? For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine 
of violence. There are two paths. There is the way of wisdom and there is the way of the wicked. There is the way of wisdom and the way of the wicked. You say, wait a minute, there's another path, isn't there? No, there's, there's just those two. Now we can maybe break that down a little bit, but that's it. You're either on one or the other. And then those two paths are compared in verses 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous, I love this, is like the light of dawn. That's, that's the full sun having arisen, which then just shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Tell me you don't want that for your life. Who doesn't want this? for every day to become brighter and brighter because you're walking the path of the righteous. But again, contrast it with the way of the wicked. Verse 19, it's like deep darkness. And they don't even know over what they're stumbling. They don't even know what it is that's bringing them down. There's a story in the, in the legend of Hercules about the time that he came to a defining intersection in the hills of Greece. Before his fame, he once faced a crisis as real as any of us have ever faced because down one path, there lay a beautiful goddess who offered him every temptation he could imagine. She promised him a life of ease. She assured him a life of no want, of unhappiness or fear or pain. He would never experience any of it. If he followed her, his every desire would be satisfied. But on the other path stood a sterner goddess in a pure white robe, and she made a quieter call. She promised a reward to him through what she would call hard work. It would be a long journey, she said. There would be sacrifice. There would be scary moments. But it would make him the kind of person his ancestors meant him to be. And so for Hercules, it was a choice between vice or virtue. For us who follow Christ, it's the choice between wisdom or evil. Wisdom or wickedness, the easy way or the hard way, the well-trod path or the road less traveled. And just like Hercules and every person who has ever lived, every one of us faces a similar choice. Which path are you walking down? And there's only two paths you can go. Make sure you're walking that singular path of wisdom. It's significant that in scripture, wisdom is often associated with this metaphor of a path. Are you moving in the right direction? Are you veering off path? Do you even know where you are on the map? Have you lost your compass? Do you know where north is? Wisdom, again, is less about information and it's more about orientation. All of us wander and whichever way our nomadic hearts sometimes take us until we submit to the authority of God's good compass, which is wisdom. The wise person lives a radically God-centered life. Tozer said years ago, as the sailor locates his position on the sea by shooting the sun, so we may get our moral bearings by looking at God. We must begin with God. We are right when and only when we stand in a right position relative to God and we are wrong so far and so long as we stand in any other position. Wisdom says, choose the fear of the Lord, choose life. 
And every day, every single day you get up, you are picking which path you're going to go down. There is, again, the way of wisdom, which is the way of Christ. There is the way of the wicked, which is the way of the Antichrist. The urgency of getting wisdom. The choice that is set before you. And the final section of Proverbs 4, really the main point at the end of this chapter comes, how do we keep from getting lost along the way? If life is to have full meaning, if life is to have value, if we want to be fully alive, there is one thing we must do above everything else. Guard your heart. Guarding your fountain. The essential counsel of this section is found in verse 23. Again, I wish we could look at everything around this, but keep moving forward to verse 23, which says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The heart is like a fountain, and out of it flows your life itself. Let's put it another way. Your your life is a reflection of your heart. The words you speak is a reflection of your heart. The choices you make every day, it's a reflection of your heart. Proverbs 27 verse 19 says, As in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Proverbs is saying the same thing Jesus would say in so many different places. Life flows from the inside out, not from the outside in. This emphasis upon the heart. There are 926 references to the heart in the Bible. So it is the most frequently mentioned topic in the word of God. Why? Because the heart is the source of everything we do. And of course, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's not referring to that vital organ that is constantly beating and keeping us alive. The heart in the Hebrew understanding is the seat, the center of understanding. It's the center of our emotions and our feelings, our passions and our will. We can say the heart is our entire inner being. That's everything that you can't see, but makes us, us. It's not material, it's not physical, but it's your inner spiritual being. And that is the source of everything you are and everything you do. That's why the next verses that follow in the rest of this chapter from verse 24 through verse 27 begin to talk about all the different parts of your body then that do things based upon your heart. Again, it's the source of everything we do. Our mouths, for instance, verse 24, he says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Why do we say the things that we say? Well, it's a reflection of the heart. When you say it and it comes out and you may ask yourself, where did that come from? It was already there. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Guard the heart. And then the mouth will speak pure words, not the twistedness of your mouth, which is the literal Hebrew. Look at our eyes in verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. What are you looking at? What's before your eye gate? What are you gazing upon? What are you staring out there? There is that reminder from the old legend of Medusa that anyone who looked at her turned to stone. There are, there are things that, 
that we're looking at that are making our hearts turn to stone today. Be careful of what you look at. And then our feet, verse 26, ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Verse 27, do not swerve to the right or to the left. That's not a political statement, okay? Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. There's a path to walk in. It's the path of wisdom and you have to be vigilant to walk upon that path every single moment of your life. Our heart cannot become divided. Our speech then, if it does, becomes crooked. Our, our eyes are dark, our way is wayward, and all of that finds its origin inside of us, in our heart. You know, sometimes we may find ourselves again in a bad place, and we wonder, how in the world did I get here? How did I end up in a place I never thought I'd be? And the answer is found right here in Proverbs 4, verses 23 through 27. Your heart. It took you there. Because that's the essence of who you are. That determines everything. That's the central seat of your mind, of your emotions, of your choices. So guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. It shapes your words and your thoughts. And in today's world, What's that look like? We're going to say more about this throughout the series. We've got 11 weeks to go, so I'll try not to pour out everything in one message. In today's world, it will look more like turning the pages of your Bible than clicking on a button. It means spending more time listening to the wisdom of those who have come before you than listening to the opinions of of your social media feed. It looks like cultivating a hunger for a healthy local church more than the teeth-rotting candy that this world seems to offer. What does wisdom look like? It looks like the fear of the Lord. It looks like a person, a man or a woman, who is entranced, who is enthralled, who is savoring the glory of God, who he is, and the fact that more than anything else, what he offers to you in Christ, what he offers you through the gospel, what he offers you through his word every day is life. So here is wisdom. Come and get it. Let's pray. And Father, how grateful we are for this book that is set before us. Among the 66 in our Bibles, the book of Proverbs is utterly unique. And yet, its pages then spill out into so many other pages of Scripture. And the book of Proverbs is implied or directly quoted dozens upon dozens of times in the New Testament because here is wisdom. And it is found in the fear of the Lord. It is found in the person of Christ. It is found in the one whom we just celebrated his birth became flesh because Jesus Christ is the embodiment of wisdom. So to think about wisdom is to think about Christ. To fear the Lord is to fear him. It is to make him first in our lives. And so, Father, 
Here's our prayer. As we seek to align our hearts and guard our hearts with all vigilance as we set priorities for the coming year. Father, we know that we will never, we will never be perfected in wisdom. But our prayer is, Father, that you will, you will get it or give it to us as we seek to get it. Father, here we are, desiring to seek your face, to set you before all things and all others. And as we seek you, here's the beginning of wisdom. And then we get insight. So we ask for your grace over this this series. We ask, Father, for your spirit of God to, to speak to us in the coming days through the pages of this book. Orient us, change us, mold us so that our hearts reflect Christ. What comes out of us is Jesus in whose mighty and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let me invite you to stand.